So wonderful, huh? We had two young men baptized at the last service, and it's just a, a joy to see God at work uh, in the life of the church. Thank you, God. Again, I welcome you to Providence. My name's Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here, and it really is uh, an honor to have you. I know we have folks that are here for the first time, and so we welcome you to Providence Church. You're always welcome here. Uh, I wanna share with you three words that uh, some of us saw together last week, devoted, different, and disciplined. And we're uh, taking these words on for this season uh, of our life as a church as we study the book of Daniel. And I really want these words to get into your heart. So I wanna invite you just to say them with me so that kind of help it sink in a little bit. Let's say it together. Devoted, different, and disciplined. We looked at these words as a way of framing how Daniel and three of his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, lived in a time when their nation was taken over by another nation. And they began to see that the way that they lived their life, lived their faith, lived out their religion drastically changed because the things that were accepted and normal uh, were now uh, something that was met with hostility. And we began to talk about what it's like to live in this current day, in this current age, and how sometimes or oftentimes now we feel like we're going against the current just to live as followers of Jesus. So what should our response be? I have a slide from that kind of summarizes some of what we talked about last week. And some of the times our response to culture would be what we call uh, noise canceling. So we say, I just want to get everything out. I don't want to deal with anything that's going out there. I'm going to noise cancel that out. That does not work because uh, what we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to shine light and to be, to be salt, to make a difference. So if you cancel everybody out, you can't do that. The, another response would just be full immersion. I'm going all in. I'm just jumping in the river and going wherever the current takes me. Obviously, that wouldn't work. And then uh, something we've seen more recently in the last few years, uh, at least right before our eyes, is to be combative and angry. Even Christians who have a combative, angry heart uh, and disposition towards culture. And so we talked about how actually what is the response that we should do that would be faithful, and that's to stay devoted to God, to live differently and be disciplined to practices that keep us connected with God. So we gave, uh, we made an invitation. We actually had hundreds and hundreds of people uh, last week who made a commitment to say, I wanna live a devoted, different, disciplined life. And you'll be given that invitation today if, if, if you would like to. Uh, we had 57 people last Sunday who said that they wanted to be baptized and give their life to Jesus. And we'll be celebrating that at our baptism service. And that invitation will be given as well today. We gave you a little sticker that says De uh, devoted, different, and disciplined. Just as a way that you could take that and carry with you. You can find some in the lobby today if you want to grab them. I put mine on my truck, right on the bumper of the truck. And Rachel's like, you never put stickers on your truck. And I was like, I know, but I really want that there. And it's like, it's not to, it's for me, right? It's for me to remember, especially when I'm driving around in that truck, you know, who, who I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to live. Because like every time I'm in Providence, I'm like shaking my fist at somebody in the car. It turns out to be some nice lady that goes to church here, you know, and I just have to be like, hey, see you at Bible study tomorrow, you know, or whatever. Use your turn signal. <laughs> For, please. The Daniel and his friends find themselves in a new land. And I want you to begin to think about how your life might be like this, where you feel a resistance as you seek to be faithful. Uh, they found that in sort of a, in a live action way that they couldn't retreat at all. 
Uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't pull away. They couldn't cancel it out. They had to be in it. They wore the dress. They spoke the language. They were assimilated in. And in fact, that's what happened to Daniel and his, free, his three friends. They went through a three-year training program after they had been pulled out of where they lived. Their city had been besieged by King Nebuchadnezzar, who took them to Babylon because he thought they were smart and capable guys to give them a job. But before they could do that, they had to have three years where they would be trained so they would kind of get what Babylonian life looked like. And so I'm going to pick up there in Daniel chapter one, sort of in that moment after their training period is over. Verse 18 says this, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. So there was a bunch more guys than just those four, but the king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They will become known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were all given Babylonian names. So they entered royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them, those four guys, 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. So you'll hear this phrase as we read today about magicians, enchanters, and astrologers. These were the people that the king would go to, sometimes known as the wise men, people that could somehow make sense of some things that couldn't be made sense just in normal life. They were spiritual guides. They could interpret things, enchanters, magicians, and Astrologers. So in chapter two, when it starts, King Nebuchadnezzar has a really bad dream, like a really disturbing dream. It keeps him up all night. He's tossing and turning. And when he wakes up the next morning, he wants to know what his dream means. And so he calls the magicians, the enchanters, and the astrologers to come to not only tell him what his dream means, but what his dream is. So it's a, here's our story. He says, I have had a dream that deeply troubles me and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. So the king is not just asking them to tell him what the, king, what the dream means, he's asking them to tell him what the dream is. And he says, if you can't tell me what the dream is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill all of you guys. So we read into this very early, somebody's grumpy, right? <laughs> somebody's had a long night, they haven't slept well, but what's not so funny is that we live in a world where if the king is grumpy, heads are gonna roll. Where if the person in authority is not having a good day, then other people can be in trouble. That's the world we live in. So the astrologers and enchanters, they can tell they're in trouble. They're trying to reason with the king. They say, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we will tell you what it means. They're saying, we can't do this, tell you the dream thing, right? And the king says, nope, I wanna know the dream and then it's interpretation. And so the astrologers have to reply very directly to the king. It's dangerous and you'll see how dangerous in just a moment. They say to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream and no king however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. This is unprecedented. They say the king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream and they do not live among the people. And so the king makes an executive order that all the wise men are executed. Why is this a problem for our story in Daniel chapter two? Because Daniel is one of the wise men. And Daniel receives the news that there's an executive order that all the people in his job are gonna be killed. 
And so he goes back to his friends, his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and tells them what had happened. He urges them, he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. The secret is, what is this dream? (laughs) So that they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. In fact, if you're looking at your Bible in chapter two, Daniel sings a song. He writes a song of praise to God. No one has ever told a king what his dream meant before he was told what the dream was. The astrologer said only a God could do that. And God, our God, told Daniel, and God is going to do something through him. And so Daniel marches in to the king, a man with a warrant for his death on his head, he walks into the king. Pretty good story, right? Let's see what happens. The king says to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, they all have these Babylonian names. He says, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replies, he knows exactly what he's doing. This this response is so important, okay? He says, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. He says precisely what the other wise men had said to the king before. And then he says, but there is a God. But there is a God, he says. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. And I picture Daniel sort of telling the king his dream as if, because he doesn't know, I mean, like he knows he heard from the Lord, but he's like, I'm really hoping this is the dream, right? I, t- I see him kind of tell him like with one eyebrow, I'm like, am I getting this? Am I getting this right? He does this very courageous thing. He shares the dream. How did Daniel, how was Daniel able to do that? Well, first he was devoted to God. So much so that when he was facing his big professional crisis, the first thing he did was pray and get his friends to pray. And he went to the Lord. Why did he do that? Because he was devoted. Daniel was also very different. He had been noticed as being different. And that's why he had a voice with the king. He, he, he was able to enter in and say something to him because God had made him different and distinct. But he was also disciplined. Daniel was so disciplined that before he does this mighty act, which would get him all acclaim and all kinds of riches at his hands and all kinds of things. Daniel is so disciplined that he points to God, points to God, points to God. He will not let the attention or the glory go to himself in that moment. And so Daniel tells the king his dream. And it's a weird dream. You want to hear it? You're going to hear it. Okay. You want to hear it? This is the dream. He says, this is the dream, right, king? There was a big statue, a glorious shining statue And the statue, uh, your Bible might say image because it's just a a physical representation of something, something else, okay? The statue, he says, and the statue has a gold head, silver chest, a bronze belly, uh, iron legs, and feet of clay. It's a weird dream. And he says, and during the dream, this rock is hewn from a mountainside. Like from a, from a supernatural being brings this big rock and the rock smashes the statue, starting with the iron feet and all the way up, but the whole statue is obliterated. And then the rock is turned into this great mountain which rules over uh, everyone forever. It's like, oh, okay, that's a weird dream. 
He says, your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you rule over, ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. And then he says, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours, your son's kingdom, will also go away after it's taken your place. And he goes all the way through it to basically say to Nebuchadnezzar, all, your, all the things that you have built up are gonna be knocked down. He says, during the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered, and it will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. And after uh, Daniel says that, King Nebuchadnezzar falls down on his knees before Daniel, and he says, your God is actually the true king over all kings. Why did he say that? Because Daniel told him the dream. Okay. Well, we have a bit of unpacking on a story like that if we're going to think it has anything to do with our lives here today, right? But I've told you before that we believe this story of Daniel is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God that God has given us this, maybe in this exact moment, for this time, for this age, to speak a word to us. A 2,600-year-old story written down and preserved for us has something to say to us today, but a little bit of unpacking to do. It's written in two ancient languages, Aramaic and Hebrew. Most of us uh, don't speak those languages. Uh, what would it have to say to us? Well, one clue, I think, is found in the statue, right, in the statue. I said to you that it's, a, it's an Aramaic word, uh, which is very similar to the language Hebrew, that, uh, that means image. It's a, the word is said, to sell them, okay? And this word means any kind of physical representation of something else, which is why you might get statue from it. But think about it. What's, what's a moment in the Bible that we talk about here quite often where we bring up the idea of an image? We're gonna look at it. In the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter one, we read about another image. God said, let us make human beings in our image. That's the same word that's found in Daniel's text. Let us make human beings to be like us, to look like us, to represent us. God is saying us because God is understood as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They, he says, will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on all the earth. So we see this word again, this saying that we are the physical likeness of God, that we're the, we're the image of God in the world. We've talked about this before. After God looks at his humans he's created, he says, this is very good. How many of you, when you looked in the mirror before you came here said, this is very good. But not only that, it says we're not only the image of God, but we're given an appointment. We're given a responsibility, an authority to rule, to rule over all the earth and to rule over all the birds and all the animals. Well, let me remind you of what Daniel said to the king. He said, he has made you ruler. Daniel is beginning to point back to this foundational story. He's made you ruler over all the inhabited world and he has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. A distinct clue to go back to Genesis, the only other time where it says that we're to be over wild animals and birds. So God, think about this, God rules this world by appointing image bearers to rule it. We are, everybody in this room today, everybody who's listening right now, 
We are image bearers of God who have been given a great responsibility. Now, you probably think, I don't rule over anything. I'm not a ruler, you know. Uh, you might act like it at home sometimes, like, give me food or whatever, however you guys act at home. But you're not really thinking like every day I'm a, I'm a ruler. That was funny. I saw like people give knowing looks to people when I said that. Um, but you are an image bearer given responsibility. Here's how I can prove it to you. Uh, this week... Some of us, many people in this room, you sent a, a tiny human who lives in your home in an oversized backpack off into the world. You let them out of your car, right? And they just walked away. And you felt something, didn't you? You know what you felt? You felt this tension inside of you that you're sending this image bearer out into the great, big, scary world. I talked to several parents this morning. I'm one of them who has a kid going back to college in the next week or so. And I had two moms. It was at eight o'clock before the eight o'clock. I had two moms were talking. They just said, I'm not talking to you anymore. And they walked away, right? Because they began to feel something, right? Because there's this, uh, this image bearing human that made noises like that and slept in a crib in their home. And you saw them every step of the way. And the next thing you know, they're, you're dropping them off in another city. And we know, right, that the image of God has been marred and broken and we're sending them out into a great, big, scary place. And so we feel this, it's a tension that followers of God feel as we live as image bearers of God in a world that we know is like kind of broken and, and messed up. Daniel is showing the king what we so often feel. He's saying, yeah, there's some things that are messed up. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. The first mention of Babylon, probably in recorded history, is also found in the book of Genesis. It's a story you might have heard of. And what happens is the people decide that not only they, they want to see God, they want to be God. They want to be like God. And so they build this huge tower, this huge tower they build because they want to sort of out-God God. That tower is called the Tower of Babel. And that place becomes the city and then the nation and the kingdom of Babylon. And so this Daniel story is giving us clues to show us this is clearly an indication that this is, we're supposed to be thinking about how, the, how this, there's long tradition of humans messing up what it means to be the image of God. We're supposed to rule and God gives us authority to rule, but we're not supposed to be grumpy rulers who when we have a bad day hurt people. And there's a long history of people doing just that. What so often happens because of sin, that rule that we're given, this absolute power, corrupts absolutely. It's just being talked about in the news every day throughout human history. And so the plan that God has for the rescue of all of that, all that big mess, what is God gonna do? He sends his very image into the world in flesh. In Colossians, Jesus is called the visible image of the invisible God. And the main message that Jesus brings is not, I'm going to heal everybody physically, and it's not, I'm going to work some really cool miracles, and it's not, I'm going to be the best teacher that you've ever heard. What Jesus says is, there's a new kingdom coming on this earth. But Jesus ends up not doing anything like what the kings of the world, human kings, have done. You know, the kind of kings that besiege nations. 
Jesus shows a totally different way. And if you hear anything today, what I want you to take from this is if Jesus is your king, you not only have permission, but the power to go a different way, to go against the current. Uh, and you're supposed to. Jesus prays in the, in the garden and, so, and talks to his disciples in the garden. So when you hear garden in the Bible, think to Genesis. What's going on here? What's the connection between this garden, the garden in the Garden of Eden, and this garden? Jesus is in a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's talking about how God is his father. So it's a reminder that he's the son, the image of God. And then he says to his disciples, I have conquered the world. Isn't that interesting? Some of you might remember it. It's a time where he says, in this world, you will have trouble, meaning there'll be all kinds of things that are messed up. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've conquered the world. And we might think, well, when is Jesus gonna conquer the world? When is Jesus gonna overcome the world? When's he gonna make it all right? When is Jesus gonna get his royal robe? When's Jesus gonna get his crown? When is Jesus gonna be lifted up and exalted on the throne? Well, I'll tell you when, on the cross, on the cross, on the cross. And when Jesus hangs on the cross, bloodied, beaten, naked, humiliated, they put a placard above his head that says, this is the king. And the people are standing around saying, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the king. That's not the way kings look. That's not our king. You've got it wrong. And the person who had power and authority said, I've written what I've written. And so the moment of the cross, Jesus is proclaimed as king. And Jesus in that moment brings the smashing rock from Daniel's dream on all other kingdoms by being smashed himself. He exposes the sham of human kings. We all follow after human kings and he exposes the sham of it. And he does what no other king would be willing to do. He is besieged himself. Why? Why? If you think this makes no sense, why would Jesus do that? Why would that be the way? Because Jesus is concerned about the real problem of humanity and he wants it to be really solved. There are all kinds of problems in the world and they're really real. But the real problem is not violence and it's not drug abuse and it's not uh, corruption. These are just evidence of the real problem. The real problem is our desire to out-God God. And that image bearers of God have gotten it all messed up. So the secret that we carry into the world, that's why this is so important, followers of Jesus. Some of y'all have been here a long time. I've never preached sermons like this, right? Why are we talking about this right now? The reason is, is Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And he canceled the record of the charges against us took it away by nailing it to the cross. Nobody talks about the cross anymore, but the cross is our sign of victory. In this way, what Jesus did on the cross, he disarmed rulers and authorities. Now that's talking clearly about spiritual rulers, uh, the spiritual powers of darkness, but it's also just sort of a, an indication of how human kingdoms will fall. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. We think the cross is Jesus' shame. No, 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 no. The cross is not a sign of Jesus' shame. It is Jesus shaming the devil and darkness once and for all. <laughs> Daniel knew something that had not yet been revealed to Nebuchadnezzar, and that was your king right now, your king of the world. He actually calls him that, your king of the world, but after you will come another kingdom. All the images we build eventually will fall. The Tower of Babel has fallen down. All of our attempts to out-God God. And that's why 
We can't ground our hope or identity in any earthly human kingdom. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. The way of compromise to culture is being so deeply connected to a human earthly kingdom that you can't distinguish that anymore from God's kingdom. And that, my friends, is how nations fall. Some of us are very interested in our nation not following. I am, I love our nation. Well, the best thing we could do to preserve the union of the nation is to be relentlessly devoted to God. The more emphasis we put on ourselves, the more likely the kingdom will fall biblically and historically. So in this time we find ourselves, devotion is courage. The way to be courageous right now is just to be devoted to God. We wanna be bold, we wanna be bold followers, then, then, then be devoted to God, be devoted. Being different is faithful. Right now we live in a time that if you are faithful, you will look different and then you will have a voice in important places because of your difference. What does that difference look like? Well, if our king is Jesus and we're going a totally different way, then we will love everyone extravagantly without, without condition. Jesus loved that way. He loved everybody. He went into the cities, remember? He, he, he sat with the rascals. He looked to the people who'd been pushed out by the church. Jesus loves that kind of way. We'll be strong like Jesus. We'll be kind like Jesus. We'll be forgiving like Jesus. We'll be humble like Jesus. We look to our king and our devotion, we figure out who Jesus is and that's the difference that we live. And then our discipline is our resistance. Our discipline will be a resistance against a current that is flowing a different way. The resistance, guys, is this. Being an image bearer of God, not an image builder of self, I know this is a hard word, but I want you to hear it. Teachers, fathers, um, mayors, colonels, accountants, aunts and uncles and grandfathers and grandmothers and students and athletes and pastors. You think of all these roles that you play as you enter into the world. If you follow Jesus, you will feel a resistance in, in, in this world, a tension. And what the tension says, this is how you can notice it. It says, all that I can see right now is not all as it should be. And that's right, because Jesus is coming to establish a new kingdom. And we as image bearers can go into this world actively resisting pointing to a new kingdom. How do we do that? Be devoted, different, and disciplined in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you. Uh, we did this last week. We have these cards up here up front when you come forward to communion. If you want to say, I want to live a devoted, different, disciplined life. I'm not saying you're saying, I got it all down or I got this down pat, but you're like, that connects with my heart. I want to live that kind of Jesus following life. You can fill out this card and when you fill it out and put it in the basket at the back when you leave, we'll send you an email and it'll invite you into a daily reading of the Bible. That's really different. It's a discipline. Uh, it will invite you to worship with us every week as we go through this study or worship with us online. It will just be a connecting point to say uh, you want to be different in the midst of this. We also have on that card a way that you can signify if you would like to give your life to Christ, the one who went to the cross for you and died for your sins. If you're ready to step into that world, that life, you can indicate that and we'll follow up with you. Let us pray. Oh God, as we come now to this moment of coming to the table of communion, let us receive it in Jesus' name. Let us receive his body and his blood. Let us ponder on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Give us new life today, we pray, God, as we hear your word and are changed by you. In Jesus' name, amen.